says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray again. Lord, uh, thank you for your word. Um, pray that you'd open our hearts, open our minds to receive it. Teach us today, God. Change us today. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help me as I teach. Uh, God, um, that you would use my words to communicate the gospel. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. We've been uh, looking at this section in Ephesians where we're called to um, live as we are. Where we're called to become in practice what we already are in position, right? And so we've been working through that all the way through chapter 4. Really, that's what we've been looking at is how do we become in practice what we already are in position. And we looked at our position in Christ through chapters 1, 2, and 3. And, uh, and so we're continuing in that. Uh, how to become and practice what we already are in position. And today in, in verses 31 and 32 here, we have this list of things that we must surrender. We, we, we ought to put off, put away is what he says in this passage. He calls us to put away these things and in their place, put on other things. And just like we talked about last week, these other things that we're called to put on, they've already been purchased for us. They've already been given to us in Christ. And if you need a refresher on that, just read through chapter 1 of Ephesians again. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Past tense, already done. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, if we're in Christ. And so, as we look through these, it's, it's, it's really us believing the gospel, believing what Paul has already told us about our position in Christ, and then ridding ourselves and, and no longer walking as the Gentiles walk, becoming in practice what we already are in position. And so we're going to go through this list here. The first thing he says is, let all bitterness. Now that word all, as we get into this, is not just attached to bitterness. It's, we could read it like this, let all bitterness and all wrath and all anger and all clamor and all slander be put away from you. That, that word is attached to each of these, okay? So let all bitterness be put Away from you. Let all bitterness be put away. Don't be bitter if we want to simplify that. Don't be bitter. Bitterness is a, is a deep resentment inside of us. You've probably felt that at some point in your life. Sometime you've probably felt what it feels like to be bitter. Paul says we have to put that away. That's a deep resentment that's inside of us. And we can't have that as a part of the inside of us if we are in Christ. That's, that's a part of the old Nature. John MacArthur writes this about bitterness. He says, It is the spirit of irritability that keeps a person in perpetual animosity, making him sour and venomous. Now we think through the gospel, that doesn't sound like someone who's in Christ, someone who's perpetually sour and venomous. And Paul says, put it away, put away bitterness, put away that deep resentment that's inside of you. And to be honest, I don't understand bitterness. I'm not saying I've never been bitter. I've been bitter. I just don't understand how it fits in me ever or in you ever. When I think about the gospel, I, do, I can't make sense out of bitterness inside of me. 
if we would just think, and if, and if we really kind of dig into what is bitterness, when we get to the root of it, why are we bitter? Honestly, it's, it's us saying with the little temper tantrum child voice inside of us, I didn't get my way. You didn't give me what I wanted. And so the little temper tantrum child inside of us starts kicking and screaming and being upset and holds this and holds this and becomes resentful and bitter. That doesn't fit with the gospel. If we're in Christ, how could we ever say, I didn't get what I wanted? I mean, you think of the gospel and, 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 and just we'll take one verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Just, just think about the gospel here, okay? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, Christ, okay? For our sake he made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How could we ever say as Christians, I didn't get what I wanted? We've gotten everything we could possibly dream there's nothing more we could get. There's nothing better that we could get. And if you're struggling with bitterness, you need to think, think about the gospel. Because at the root of that bitterness is a little child kicking and screaming, saying, I didn't get my way. I didn't get what I wanted. And the truth is, how could we want more than what we've been given in Christ? We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Put away all bitterness. That's bitterness, guys. I'm telling you. Just that's the Lord letting you hear what's going on inside of your hearts. If you're bitter. Put off bitterness, put off all wrath. We talked about anger a few weeks ago. Wrath has to do with that intense Rage. It's beyond anger. It's beyond this, this welling up inside of us. And anger, certainly, we talked about this as an outburst at times. Some of you who struggle with anger, that's how you struggle with it. You explode. Some of you keep it inside. Wrath is just this explosive, intense rage. It's a lack of belief in God's ability and promise to take care of you. And it's us saying, I'll handle this one. It's us saying, vengeance is mine, saith me. When in reality, in Romans 12, God says, no, no, no. Don't retaliate because vengeance is mine. So how can we be filled with wrath? When the wrath of the one who we are to fear has been poured out on someone else rather than us for our sins. Paul says, put it away. Don't be wrathful. Put away all wrath. If you struggle with wrath, think. Think about the gospel. Think about how Christ endured the wrath of God for you. How could you be filled with wrath with someone else when God looked at you in Christ and said, forgiven? Put away wrath. Put off all anger, he says. Let all bitterness and wrath and all anger be put away from you. 
This is interesting, right? Because we talked about earlier where Paul says, be angry and do not sin. And there's a, there's a kind of anger, a righteous anger we have to be careful with because not many of us know how to be anger righteous, angry righteously. And our anger usually is a self-centered, selfish, sinful anger. But, but we have here, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. And then later on says, let all anger be put away from you. So how do we balance that? What's he saying? Remember he says there, just like we we read, don't let the sun go down on your anger. We as, as followers of Christ, we should not be, and we talked about this before, we should not be characterized as angry people. We shouldn't be characterized as as people by our friends, by our family, by our spouses, by our children, by our co-workers, by our neighbors, by those in the church. We should evaluate every person in our sphere of influence. I have to think through Shauna, Alden, Leif, Sammy, Silas, Judah, all, all of them. You. My neighbors, do they see me as an angry person? Do my kids see me as an angry person? How can that be if I'm in Christ? If I've been transformed, if I've been changed by the gospel, if I believe the gospel is true, if I believe the gospel is true, how could I be characterized as an angry person? It it can't be that way. Paul says we have to put it away. It's also a caution for us when we see Paul say, be angry and do not sin and later on put away all anger. That should be a huge caution for us of what we talked about when when we preached on the passage, be angry and do not sin. You're not a good judge of righteous anger and neither am I. I may think I'm angry at righteous things when most of the time I'm not. I'm just angry because someone ticked me off or someone got in my path and stole from me the joy that I thought I deserved. That's not righteous anger. That's sinful anger. So put it away. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Clamor and slander. Clamor and slander are the outward expressions of bitterness, wrath, and anger. We complain or we gossip. We tear other people down. That word clamor is, is, um, is like a shout or an outcry of strife. It reflects uh, a public outburst that reveals uh, a loss of self-control. Now you think of that. That word clamor is a picture it's a, it, it, of us bursting out and having a lack of self-control. Where does that mind, where does that take your mind? As I look through that, I think through what that means. It takes me to Galatians 5. If I'm in Christ, it ought to take me to Galatians 5, where, where Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. So if I'm in Christ and I'm, and I'm not 
following my flesh, but I'm walking by the Spirit, then I'm going to be a person of self-control. So clamor and walking with the Spirit just don't work together. They don't fit together because clamor is a lack of self-control and being filled with the Spirit is being filled with self-control. So Paul says it doesn't work. That's the old nature. That's your old ways that we must not walk anymore, he says earlier in the chapter. Slander is this ongoing definition, defamation of another person. Where we just continue to, to talk about and, and, and rail on the character of someone else without them hearing. And just, just tearing and gouging at them. We talked about that last week with our talk and how Paul calls us to, to use words that build up. Not let corrupting talk come out of our mouths. Clamor and slander are outward expressions of, of bitterness and anger and wrath. Paul says we have to put these things away. How could we be people who are in Christ and yet characterized by bitterness or wrath or anger or clamor or slander and say we have the Holy Spirit inside of us? We can't. That's what Paul's saying here. We can't. You have to put those things off. And if you look back in verse 30, we talked about this last week where it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. We must put off those things that grieve the Spirit because it reduces His effectiveness, His fruitfulness in our lives. You wonder how you can be a person who struggles with clamor or bitterness and yet Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and and on and on and on. Because we've grieved the Spirit. And we continue to grieve the Spirit where where His work is less effective in us. And and for some of you, maybe we talked about this last week, where you don't even you're not even feeling that conviction that you used to feel for those things anymore. Because you just continue to grieve the Spirit in your response to Him and to the gospel. Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Just as bitterness and and wrath and anger and clamor and slander grieve other people and affect our relationship with other people, it affects our relationship with the Holy Spirit, right? It's the same thing. If If I'm slandering you, if I'm angry with you, if I'm wrathful with you, if I'm bitter towards you, chances are our relationship is going to be affected between me and you. And we're imperfect people. The Holy Spirit, who is perfectly just and righteous and holy and set apart in all of his ways, inside of us is is grieved when we're walking in these ways. Finally, he says, put away all Malice. That word malice literally means badness. I love that. I mean, we go through this chapter and he put this away and put this away and put this away and put this away and put this. And all badness, all forms of evil, just put it away. Put away all things that don't go with your new way of walking, of your new nature. Put those things away. Put away all badness. Put away all Malice. How could we be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and be characterized by badness? 
It doesn't fit. But to put these things away, Paul says. Since God has made you alive in Christ Jesus, stop walking as if you are still dead. That's the, that's the picture we have from 17 all the way down through the end of the chapter here. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. If we're bitter or wrathful or angry or if we go back further up, lying or, or whatever it is from this passage you want to take. If we are those things, if those things characterize us, then we're walking as someone who's still dead. And yet we claim that God in his mercy made us alive in Christ. As it says in Ephesians 2. Paul says you're still walking as if you're dead. You can't do that. Put it off. Put away those things and believe the gospel. Think about the gospel. Believe the gospel and see what you are in Christ and walk in that way. I'm going to look at these quickly from Galatians 5, just thinking through this, okay? As you think through just this list, okay? We're not going to go through all of 17 through 32, but think through this list. Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, slander and malice. We think through Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love. If I have the fruit of the Spirit working through me, I'm going to be loving. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to be full of wrath or anger. I'm not going to slander someone else. Because I know that God has called me to love them as I love myself. And he's empowered me by the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy and bitterness don't work together. If you're bitter inside and you look joyful here, you're faking it. They don't work together. But the fruit of the Spirit is joy, love, joy, peace. If I, if, I, if I have peace that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, then I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be full of wrath. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to clamor. I'm not going to slander other people. Patience. Kindness. We're going to get to that in the next verse, verse 32. Goodness. People who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be good and kind don't slander. Faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. We need the Holy Spirit working in us. And that's why Paul says in the midst of all this, don't grieve him. Don't continue walking in these ways. Don't continue down this path. Don't continue to walk as as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. Because when you're doing that, you're grieving your only hope towards sanctification. You're grieving the only one who can bring the fruit that's opposite of those things in your life. Don't do that. Put those things away. And in in their place, he says this, be kind. Verse 32, be kind to one another. Tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another. Again, that's a fruit of the spirit. We ought to be kind because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Not only that, though. The Lord himself is kind, Scripture tells us, right? And if we want to be like Christ, then we're going to be kind. Paul says in in Romans 2, 4, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? 
Paul refers to the kindness of the Lord as him being rich in kindness. If we want to look like Christ, if we're going to be like Christ, then we ought to look and be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. As children of the Lord, be kind to each other. Jesus says that we're to love God with all our heart and love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're not often cruel to ourselves, right? It's amazing how we pamper ourselves and take care of ourselves and are so kind to ourselves. Because we like ourselves. Be kind to one another. Romans 12, 9, 9 and 10. Let love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. As children of the Lord, we're called to be kind to each other. Speak the truth, but do it in love, Paul says earlier. Speak the truth in love. Yes, there are times. There are times, and if, if we're going to speak in a way that builds up as fits the occasion and gives grace to those who hear, that's what we talked about last week. Yes, there's times when that means confronting someone on their sin. Does that mean we're not kind? No. That's the kindest thing we could do in that circumstance. It's cruel, it's hateful of us to see our brother and sister in sin, if we say we love them, to see them in sin and let them continue down that path. Kindness, just like kindness in the Lord, would lead that person to repentance. It would lead us to lead them to repentance. To be kind. Genuinely kind. Not just putting on a smile, not just pretending to be happy in church, but genuinely kind because we love God and we love these people. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted, he says. Tender-hearted has this idea of being compassionate. It's this deep inner empathy for someone's needs. How beautiful is that? Be tender-hearted. Who is more compassionate than Jesus? What's he saying here? Be like Christ. Be like your Savior. Be tenderhearted. Be compassionate. When we see each other, when we come into this place, it's so easy. It's easy for me. It's easy for all of us to come in and be self-seeking. When we come to church, I want people to be kind to me. Absolutely. I'm asking you, please don't be mean to me. I love it when you're kind to me. I love that. But do I just as much desire to be kind to you in my relationships? Do I do I want to be compassionate, genuinely compassionate to the body of Christ? This is we're one body. Different parts, different joints, different parts of this one body. And we're called to love each other, be kind to each other, be compassionate, be compassionate to each other. We can't do that apart from the Holy Spirit. Because he's the one that empowers us to love. That's a fruit that he gives us. Is love. To be kind, be tender-hearted. It goes on and says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiving one another as God in Christ 
forgave you. I want to spend a little bit of time on this because I think this is a huge, huge deal. Forgiving one another as God in the way that God in Christ forgave you. Look at two different passages from the book of Matthew. Turn to uh, Matthew chapter 6. And then put your finger there. We're going to start there. Put your finger there and go to Matthew 18. Start with Matthew 6. This is where um, Jesus is teaching his disciples, teaching us to pray. And so let's start at the beginning of that. Um, Verse 9, pray then like this, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Then Jesus says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive others your trespasses. I think that forgiveness in a believer is a huge deal. And this is one of the main reasons why. Because when Jesus taught us how to pray, he says, pray like this. In the midst of that illustration, that demonstration of a prayer, he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do you you ever think about that when you're praying? I mean, we are very quick to come to the... Hopefully you are. Hopefully if you believe the gospel, you're very quick to come to the Lord and beg Him, please, 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 please forgive me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, please forgive me. But do we think through it this way when we're praying? Do you ever wake up in the morning? Do you ever just stop in the middle of the day and say, God, would you forgive me in the same way that I have forgiven other people? I think, I think we would hesitate to pray that. But as followers of Jesus Christ who have been forgiven by God for all of their trespasses, all of their sins, we ought to be forgiving. And Jesus says when you pray, pray like this. Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then, After his prayer, he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now, don't get this out of order. Jesus isn't now reteaching the gospel to say you can work for your salvation. If you're a forgiving person, then your father will forgive you. He's not saying that. His point is, if you've been transformed by the gospel and you have a good perspective of, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, but God in Christ Jesus made me alive. I didn't deserve it. I didn't do anything to earn it. There's nothing I could have done. I was absolutely dead, dead. And God, being rich in mercy, looked at my deadness and loved me and made me alive in Christ Jesus. If I believe that, I think what Jesus is saying is, if you believe that, then you will forgive. 
as you've been forgiven. It's not backwards where we're forgiving so that we are saved. The forgiveness that God has given us is transforming where we will become forgiving people. Flip over to Matthew 18. Jesus gives us another picture of forgiveness. And the importance of forgiveness. Starting with verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Let's pause there for a minute, okay? Now, now understand what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying start tallying. Once you come to Christ, if someone comes to you and they've, they've wronged you, they've sinned against you, then just start just keep a piece of paper in your pocket. This obviously looks like a person who's going to offend you a lot of times. So write their name on the top. And every time you forgive them, I forgive you. I forgive you again. That's a hundred. Just to let you know. That's not what Jesus is talking about, right? Don't keep count. Just keep forgiving. Keep forgiving. Keep forgiving. Keep forgiving. Because God keeps forgiving you. Keep forgiving And he gives us this picture. Starting at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents would be like 20 years wages for us. So one of the servants comes to him who owes him 10,000 talents. Verse 25. And since he could not pay his master, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now they estimate that that would be like 20 weeks. So you have 20 years Income versus like 20 weeks income. Okay, big difference here. Verse 28 again. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Forgiveness is a big deal in the kingdom of God. What does Jesus call the one who was forgiven so much 
and unwilling to forgive? What does he call him? Say it out loud. Wicked. He calls him wicked. If you are an unforgiving person, if you're holding a grudge against someone else, and you're in Christ, the Lord is saying you are wicked. Wicked. Now look at the picture here. If someone who comes with, who owes a great debt, a debt that if you, you counted it up in, in today's numbers would be unpayable. It would take a lifetime for them to begin to pay that back. And in mercy, the king looks at him and forgives him this great debt. And the same one who's forgiven goes out and finds someone who, who owes him very little comparatively. And he begins to choke him and he's angry with him and says, you'll pay back what you owe. And in the same way, he's broken before this one who's been forgiven so much. And he says, I, I don't have it. Just give me some time and I'll pay you back. Well, what's he do? No. He doesn't forgive him. And he takes him and puts him in prison and tells him he'll pay back every penny. It's a picture of, of us. If you say you're in Christ, then you have been forgiven more than this first servant was forgiven. You've been forgiven everything, everything, everything. Your debt was unpayable by you. And then Christ comes in and redeems you, saves you, forgives you, cleans you. And what Jesus is saying is, how dare you, how dare I then go from the presence of the Lord and find someone else who has, who has done so little to us in comparison to what we have done to the Lord and not be willingly willing to instantly forgive. If you look through the rest of this, this passage, when the master summons him back, those are not things that Jesus usually says about someone who is truly saved. Jesus never calls a truly saved person wicked. He certainly doesn't say that he sends him off to punishment. Forgiveness is a sign of forgiveness in us. If we're unwilling to forgive, if you're a person who's unwilling to forgive, go back to the gospel. Look at the gospel. Think about the gospel. Think about everything that you have been forgiven for because it matters. And your heart towards forgiveness matters. And if you're truly in Christ, then you're going to be with the Spirit's help, a forgiving person. And we're called to be forgiving people. Paul says, be kind to one another, one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's a really high standard. Not as good Christians forgive each other, but as God in Christ forgave you. Forgive that way. Forgive. How do we do that? 
It's the gospel. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's chapter 1 of Ephesians. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You've been given the Holy Spirit inside you. That Spirit is the guarantee of your inheritance. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work on your behalf, Scripture tells us. So go back to the gospel. Go back to the gospel. Go back to the gospel. And believe the truth of the gospel. And let the Holy Spirit work that through you in the lives of other people. Just as we finish this chapter, I want to close the sermon just reading Paul's account, similar account in Colossians. You don't have to turn there. I just want you to listen, okay? In Colossians 3, I'm going to read the first 17 verses. Very similar to to what we've seen in Ephesians here. But just different wording to kind of let us soak in what Paul's telling us here. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience bearing with one another and if any if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus Christ who has paid for sins, who has taken your wrath upon himself so that we might be forgiven, so that we would be made righteous in him. Thank you. Father, we need your help. We need your spirit to work in us. We don't want to be people who who say that you are our all and yet we walk in our old ways. 
We walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Lord, we don't want to walk as those who are hopeless. We don't want to walk as those who are lost. We don't want to walk as those who are blind. We want to glorify you. And whatever we do in word or deed, we want to do all for the glory of you. We want to be able to say with Paul, as we just read in this passage, that you are our all. Help us, Lord. I pray that you would help us. And God, I pray for anyone here who who is entangled in bitterness, struggling with wrath or anger or slander or clamor or malice, Lord. I pray, God, that you would enable and reveal their sin. Enable them, Lord, to, in faith, come to you, begging you for the forgiveness that you offer through Christ alone. I pray that your spirit would fill them with the fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit, that that we would be a people who are loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled, that we would reflect Christ, that we would be kind to each other, that we would genuinely love each other, that we would be compassionate towards each other, And that we would be forgiving people, Lord, knowing that you have forgiven us so much that we would be forgiving people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.